the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Welcome to the SpotTrack.com podcast. I'm Kevin Sylvester along with Paul Peck and the founder of SpotTrack.com, Mike Gennetti. And we're going to talk a little bit of everything, Dave. Some baseball, some football, some basketball. Uh, we're going to start out with baseball talk because we finally have uh, ended the constipation of contracts. <laughs> Think that had anything to do with the guys actually showing up in Florida and Arizona? Yeah, I don't know. I, this just seemed to be the time of year and, you know, this holdout that the owners were clearly putting together. I mean, this was clearly something planned, whether they discussed it together or, or it just sort of snowballed as it went on, you know, month to month here. But uh, basically what we've done here on Track this week is we've taken a, an in-depth look at free agency over the past five years leading up to this season as and maybe sort of a, a reason that this season took so long. And, and we'll take a look at the contracts that did come through in comparison. But uh, really, where we were five years ago and where we are today is very different. And there's a reason for that. And really, it's just intelligence, I think. I think it's an education um, with the sport. Obviously, the sport has changed. Obviously... You know, the relief pitchers and, and positionally things have changed in terms of how the payment is structured and all of that. Um, but generally, one thing that's been consistent inside of baseball is come winter, come December, come free agent season, money got thrown around. Teams just did everything possible to get their guy, get a guy and fill a hole. And we, we all kind of agreed with it and allowed it and just went forward. Well, uh, really what's happened in terms of that, obviously this year that's changed. And we'll get to that sort in, in a few minutes here. But what I wanted to do is sort of assess this from the inside out, right? I wanted to see what has changed in terms of the contract for, for from five years ago to today. And, and we can start with t- 2014, really. Let's start with Robbie Cano. Right? Yeah, and you've done Big a great name. job. You've done a great job yeah. of laying this out in a chart at SpotTrack.com. Yeah. But Robinson Cano. Yeah, yeah, just sort of outline, actually, the, the piece. What, what I've done is I've taken the five highest contracts in each free agent period over the last five years. And I'm basically just nuts and bolting, breaking down the structure so that we can sort of see some trends and figure out where things might be going. So yeah, Robinson Cano, big name, huge free agent back in the day when he left the Yankees. He signed a 10-year, $240 million contract in Seattle. Obviously, that's still going. We're only a few yeah. years into it. So, And that's really, that's that's the issue, right? That's, that's the nuts and bolts of this conversation is a 10-year contract, right? No player options, no team options, and a full no trade clause, right? So these are the elements we're going to talk about here as to where things have used to be and where, they, where they're coming now, right? So that's, the, that's sort of the mecca of free agent contracts, a $24 million per year deal, 10 years, no way out for the player, really no way out for the team because he's got the trade clause and really nobody's going to pay $24 million a year for a second baseman right now who's you know over 30 years old. So... That, that's the that's the element that needed to change. That's that's the thing that we all just sort of accepted, right? If you were a major player who could hit home runs and play defense, you were going to get a huge contract, next man up, highest contract in baseball history. It's going to be long. It's going to be huge. You're going to have all the control, and we're, we're going to buy your jersey. You're going to be on that team for the next foreseeable future, right? That That's that's changed, and that's changed in other sports. And I think the, the change in other sports – has fueled baseball to change itself, and that's a good thing. So the point of my piece isn't to rip baseball. It's not sort of to break down numbers and say players are overpaid and that's never going to change. The point of this is to say the education of the structure of these contracts has gotten a ton, ton better, and it's a good thing. It's a good change for players too. Uh, so that's something that we've also talked about in this article is, you know, we go through these year by year, and we've got pitchers and, and batters and, and all sorts of, of different numbers that go with it, but – 
really what's sort of being left out here is in, in this current year where, you know, we've, we've had the constipation in terms of, of money, right? But it, it's, it shouldn't just be about give me all the money you can give me, right? Obviously, there's, there's, there's placement. Where do I want to go? Because I want to win. Where am I a good fit? What's a good city for my family? All of that's obviously, you know, a huge part of it. But for, for the most part, if somebody's handing me $300 million, I'm not saying no. Well, that's changed. And that's changed from the player's perspective as well. Let's just kind of dive into this year, right? We, we, we're talking J.D. Martinez. He's sort of been the name that's been thrown around in terms of position players for the last three months or so. 45 home runs. He, he had over 300. Super rare in terms of a guy like that hitting the market. Um, and obviously, we, we waited three and a half months to see a contract for J.D. Martinez. This was the team we all thought he was going to. He got the money we all thought he was going to get, but but there's elements to this contract that just make it a good deal for for Boston and for him. And this is sort of the what we led up to with this five years of analysis here. He's a little older. Did that? He's over thirty, correct? He, he's he's thirty, and this was sort of an was anomaly. that a factor? Was the age a factor? Did the Red Sox not want to be paying him at age thirty-seven? So that's a, that's another good point, and that's something we talk about on this, this piece as well. You had you had a position player like Albert Pujols at 31 years old, leave the Cardinals and sign an eight-year contract, right? Age didn't matter. It didn't matter. If you could hit me 40 home runs next year, I don't care about what, you, what you're going to do in six years. That was the old mantra. And that's changed. And that, that should change for the player too, because Albert Pujols shouldn't want to be 39 years old on a team that can't trade him or can't move him because he's going to be stale. His brand, his market, his game, his, his the demeanor, his mentality with baseball is going to fall off at that point. That you don't want to get yourself in that position anymore, and that's what we're talking about with Martinez here. Mar- Martinez's deal is 110 million for five years, but it's not 110 million for five years, right? It, it's th- it's this old adage that what you see on paper isn't exactly what you're getting, right? He's he's it's got, the NFL. It's the NFL. Right. Yeah. Look. yeah, and we and we make that reference here that this is a situation where you know there's player options, there's there's the ability to be traded. All of those things are built into Martinez's deal. Not to mention it's front-loaded, right? So again, Paul, yeah, this is an NFL contract is what this is. This is a two-year, $50 million contract, $25 million a year. That's the number we all sort of thought he should get, you know, last December. Um, and then from there, it sort of drops down a little bit. But he's got options in year two, options in year three. He can get out when he needs to, or he can ride this out and, and go from there. But it, it, the structure of the contract and the structure of baseball contracts over the past two years in terms of free agency have gone to this direction. They've gone to a a sort of a split direction, right? Good for the team, good for the player. Both elements can get out if they need to, and there's a lot of money still being thrown around. All right, so uh, one comment on the Pujols thing, though. He went from National to American League, so there's DH. You know, uh, you're not going to play the position the whole time, and that's probably what went to some of the thinking, uh, not only for uh, the Angels, but for him uh, in switching leagues instead of having the demands of playing first base, (laughs) (laughs) not the most physically demanding position, but, uh, you know, uh, just going up to hit like JD Martinez is a DH, uh, not the most taxing thing in the world. Um, but you talked about, all right, so it's changed, right? So uh, with these opt outs and really being a two year deal, maybe a three year deal, when did that change? Because you referenced 2014, Robinson Cano, the 10 years, $240 million. Ellsbury at seven years, 153 When did this opt-out uh, start to come? Uh, I noticed in 2016, David Price has the player opt-out. 
Uh, that was the second highest contract of two hundred seventeen million there. Oddly enough, also uh, with the Red Sox uh, in that deal. Is that when we first started seeing these? It's just a couple of years ago. Can I scoop Mike here on a second? I want, he's going to answer, and he may tell me that I'm crazy. <laughs> but when you when you say that, I'm thinking about this here. Here in my mind is why some of this has changed. Guys don't, general managers, managers don't hold jobs as long as they do. There's not as much patience anymore. Um, we have seen the, the, the teams don't sustain winning for six, seven, eight, ten years anymore. There are certainly always exceptions. But in general, you build up, you spurt, you have two, three really good years. And then for whatever reason, got to get rid of players, can't pay them, guys get old, you, you drop down and you become, you know, the, the, the Houston Astros, the Florida Marlins, you know, it's, there's much more of an up and down. I wonder if you'll tell me that's why this has changed. Teams don't want to get locked in on long term. And players almost say, this team's rebuilding. I don't want to be here anymore. I want out. Yeah, the, the term I use in this piece is called is fluid. And it's on both sides. It, it's both sides want to be able to move, right? So, again, Jay Martinez is on a two-year deal here. That's perfect. He gets $50 million in two years. He's never going to squawk about that, right? Mm-hmm. The Red Sox are built to win right now. Their youth is in that Houston Astros situation where they're, they're on that third, maybe middle of arbitration years for a lot of that core. They needed a couple of veterans to come in and, and knock a few out of the park and you know sustain maybe some a long-term 162-game you know, season. This is that guy. This, this is the glue. And we're going to talk about a team down the road in another sport that's m- might be setting themselves up for a situation like that too. But, yeah, it, it's timing. We talked about the process with the Astros and the process of team building across multiple sorts a, a couple episodes ago. That's what you're talking about, Paul. These teams have a plan, and it's not an eight-year plan. No. It's not. Because it's, it's, it's pro sports. There's no yeah. eight. There's no eight. There's, there's two-year plans yeah. in pro sports now. Yeah, they've, got, they've probably got two plans, maybe three, right? They've got the now plan. They've got the short term, and they have the long term. But but the now plan has to be flexible. It's got to be fluid. And you, even your major contracts, even your your highest paid player, needs to be able to move. And look at look at what happened with Houston with Justin Verlander. That was an untradeable contract, right? But because of how they set themselves up, they were able to take that on. Well, other teams want to be able to do that, and not not every team, can, not many teams, can do that. And in the right? Astros' in case, that was sounded like a very much a last minute decision that probably went against anything they had talked about from April until August. And then all of a sudden, you're like, "Man, we're good. We can get this guy, and and he we think we can he can be the difference in us winning a World Series. Let's do it." But, I almost feel like that was the decision. That was the discussion. But the reason they could do it, number one, it was in the middle of the season, which is a whole other discussion, right? Right. So so you've got your free agent period right now, which we which we've analyzed. But what's happening is a lot of this movement, this this money movement, is happening at that trade deadline, and that's a big, big part of the process here. It's it's not just a go all in in, in December and January and hope it works out for the next eight months. There's a, there's a plan in place to to spend now, spend early, and then spend in the middle of the season, and, and it sort of all correlates. You have to think Houston was prepared to make some sort of splash if they were in the the the, the rankings of the standings that they assumed they were going to be in, which was where they were, obviously. And it was a lot easier for them to make that move when they're 15th in payroll. Do you know what I mean? Because everybody's got an internal number that they won't go over, right? Mm-hmm. Or, th- or that they shouldn't go over unless there's a situation like that where they think they can win the World Series. But when, when, you're, when you're 16th and 15th in payroll, it's a lot easier to jump to 10th for, for a, an ace, for a, for a starting pitcher, than it is to be the Dodgers or, or the Red Sox even right now. The Red Sox are, are pushing $210 million already, and they're not even done spe- you know, spending money right now. So... It's a lot easier to get yourself to, to start back a little and then push forward 
which is seemingly what we've seen happen in free agent seasons over the last two years. So if you're a free agent baseball player Mm -hmm. uh, and you're coming up from the player side of things, you are looking for the player opt-out. And if the team wants the opt-out, you're going to charge them more for it, right? I mean, it's basically all about buying freedom. Right. So so I I sort of laid out that the the perfect player contract, player only, is a ton of money, a high salary, a player option, at least one player option, and then some sort of trade protection, right? So pay me, let me get out if I want to, and don't don't trade me in t- unless I tell you it's okay. That's like the dream player, and, and we were seeing a lot of those, you know, maybe three four years ago. That that whole Jason Hayward situation with with the Cubs, just absolute ground zero in terms of mm. of baseball contracts, right? That that was the the mecca. That's probably the straw that broke the camel's back for a lot of teams. That was an eight year deal, one hundred eighty four million. Yeah, player opt out, right after three years. Yeah. Yeah. And a full no trade. Right. And a full no trade. And, and I don't know why he would opt out unless he's a right. good guy and, and he <laughs> right. knows it's a terrible contract for the team. But, yeah, I don't know why you're turning down another $100 million, you know, for the next five years here. But that we'll see after this season. Uh, but to me, that was like the, the peak. That was the peak bad, bad contract. Well, I'm pretty not sure his money. agent will be like, dude, you're not opting yeah, out. you're not leaving. I need 3% of $100 million. <laughs> yeah. yeah, plus World Series. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Jeez. Um, so, yeah, th- there were some red flags that we made note of here that really, really you could see – turn teams off and, it, and it, that's when the trend really started to shift towards we got to be smarter we we've got to share this this leverage right and that's the point of my article my article here is on the right side of this table i have is i've got a column called who won this deal right and it's about mm-hmm. leverage it's about it's about was it good for the team was it good for the player was it a split and, and we're starting to see the splits become a little bit more prevalent and that's important i think that's important i think you want your elite free agents to, to make money. Otherwise, you know, you know, where's the sport going if they're not making money, right? So you want the money to be there, but you, you've got to have the team have some sort of leverage. There are still teams out there who refuse to go this route, they, who are still going with, I'm giving you four years of high money, big salary, and we'll throw a club option at the end. And if we still like you, we'll keep you. That, that's the old way to do it. And it's fine. You know, if you can get guys to agree to that, um, that's fine. We saw a few of them already this year and they were the early contracts signed which is interesting. But I think more and more of these agents and these players are becoming privy to this player option as, as a tool for them because it's a way for them to get cash early, right? It's all about how that cash is structured in the deal. That's why the NFL side of it makes sense. And, and the other thing that jumps out at me is that the player opt-out isn't always a bad thing for the team. No. Um, you know, and the Stanton is clearly the example of that where he owned the opt-out, but the team was like, yeah, we really don't want you anymore. Um, so it, I, I know on the surface you'd say, oh, player opt-out, that really handcuffs the team. In a lot of ways, it doesn't because the players, like you said, they don't want to be there if they're not part of what's going on. And again, that goes back to where's the cash, right? So Eric Hosmer, perfect example. Eight years, $144 million with the Padres, but it's a five-year, $105 million deal. So it's front-loaded $21 million a year for five years. That's the contract. Mm-hmm. It's not an eight-year contract, right. right? He's not taking $13 million a year for the last three years of the deal. That's just not going to happen for him. So I, that's a perfect example of the team saying, yeah, we'll make it look sound like an eight-year deal on paper, and it'll be the, it'll be the, the largest contract of the free agent season, right? Which it is if you go to our, our free agent tracker. $144 million is the, the largest so far. But it's five years, $105 million. Perfect market value for him. Nice five-year tenure for the team. They get a, a bona fide, you know, number four hitter, starting first baseman for five years at a at a really good price. It's not thirty million, right? They didn't have to go crazy for it, but uh, again, that's the way to do it. It's there's leverage on both sides, and, th- and that's an example of where a player option is going to benefit the team in five years. Sure. All right. 
So I want everybody to go and check this out. But final thing uh, to kind of wrap up the baseball discussion here is 2019 yeah. is going to challenge all of us, isn't it? Yeah. So that, that was really the point <laughs> of me doing this is I'm, I'm sort of geeking myself up for next offseason here. Right. <laughs> so we've, ta- we've talked about a lot of basketball and LeBron James and those guys who are, who are coming up for, for, bat, for the NBA free agency. Baseball's got just as good a class coming, if not better, really, in terms of how the money's going to be thrown around. We've got Bryce Harper, Manny Machado, Josh, Josh Donaldson, Daniel Murphy, Charlie Blackman, Brian Dozier, all huge position players, almost certainly going to hit the free agent market, in my opinion. I don't think any of those guys are going to remain where they are right now. Um, and then you've got a couple of pitchers, Clayton Kershaw and David Price, with player options, which we've talked about here, who have the ability to say, I'm not getting paid enough. Um, let's rip this up and either we do a new deal here or we go elsewhere. So big, big names, top, top elite players who will demand top elite money. And really this is sort of a preamble to where that might be going, right? Because we want, we want to be looking at top dollars with trade clauses, with structure, with where are the player options? How long will these deals be? Have, have we really hit a point where teams refuse to go 10 years anymore? Even though we, you know, for the last 24 months, we've heard nothing but, 10 years and 400 million for Bryce Harper. I, I'm, I'm on the train of not buying that. I, I never have been buying that. So I, I, don't, I don't think that's good for Bryce Harper, either, no. which is the discussion we're having here. I, I don't think Bryce Harper should want a 10-year straight contract. Right. But the message to the fans, I think, in all of what you're saying, Mike, is buy jerseys at your own risk. Yeah. Um, we're, yeah. we're in a world now where no matter what, the guys are just not going to stay in one place for very long, nor are they going to play one place in their career. Because basically what you're saying here is that movement is now become accepted on both sides of the of the ledger um, when it wasn't always guy they wanted to lock a player up he's we're, he's our core we're going to build around him it's 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 not the world we live in anymore so again you're going to go out and buy that JD Martinez jersey Mr. Red Sox fan and think you're going to have it for the next 5 years uh uh-uh. uh yeah, they need Velcro names on the back. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> really digital. We need a they digital need display. Yeah. Well, if they're paying that much money for that, they can afford to buy a whole new jersey. It's a different uh, way for fans there. to think. I mean, it's a different, it's a much different way than most of our lifetime about how fans buy into the players that they root for and cheer for. Um, you know, it's uh, it's the old Jerry Seinfeld routine. You're gonna root for the laundry. You're right. Well, no, you're right. That's I mean, the world of sports now. You, you get it. You can't get attached to a player where uh, you know we grew up like you knew. Uh, you know, uh, Robin Yount was going to play for the Brewers. The I don't know why Robin Yount just that's uh, a good came one. Mind, but Robin no, Yount was a, a Brewer. That's a good one. And when Paul Molitor played for the Twins, you're like, wait a second, wait, what happened? <laughs> yeah, you know. So, uh, but now, yeah, it just seems you really got to go to Spot Track every single baseball season to see who's where with all the movement, all the movement of contracts because everything to use Mike's word, is fluid. Time now for the contract of the week. All right, Mike, time to shift gears and shift sports as we record this on a Tuesday. It is the first day that teams can put the franchise tag on players. And, you know, one observation, I think it might have been our guest from last week, Joel Corey, who said the franchise tags have gotten so expensive that they've almost become unusable except for the elite level of player, that beyond the the best player at his position uh, in the league, you just can't afford to pay anybody that number anymore. So does that mean you're going to see less of them? Uh, maybe not. I think it's going to be still going to be a year to year kind of thing. I I think we're at a position now where they're less of a placeholder and more of, you know, in some instances that we'll talk about here, that's just going to be your salary. I think that's there. People are building this in as 
I don't want you for two years. <laughs> you know what I mean? It <laughs> becomes and, a year a control, and, uh, right? Yeah, this is sort of a way to say, here's a ton of money. I don't want you for two years, though, because I really don't know, or we don't know where we're going, and you know, the plan doesn't really lead us to keep you for a multi-year deal. But uh, yeah, I think I think we're at a position sort of like in, sort of in the middle, right? The money's really good. So any of these guys who get offered a tag, they're going to sign it, in my opinion. I, I mean, all these names that I have listed here, maybe without with the exception of Le'Veon Bell, are, are instantly going to sign this thing just because the money's good, like like you said. Um, and I think twenty five million for quarterbacks, right? Twenty three, twenty three, uh, projected twenty three. Yeah. Now there's no bonus money in that, but it's guaranteed money because yeah, the it's franchise. guaranteed. Yeah, so what's right. the, what's the difference? You're getting right. as soon as you sign that, sign and it. you're you're. You, and let's talk about the one guy that I think you difference feel, is get it now, Paul, or get it you know over well, a period of time. Yeah, but you know year. again, right. if it, you're getting it anyway, and Case Keenum is the one guy that I know you're thinking about, and yeah. and if you're Case Keenum, you would love at this point in your career a long term contract for long term security, but. I would think the Vikings would say we don't not necessarily sure you're our guy, so we we want it. We're willing to give you another chance because of what you did last year, but we don't want to lock into a five year deal. So we franchise you at maybe a little more than we might have paid you based on the market. But then if it doesn't work out, we can get out of it. Yeah, I, I, he's been sort of on the back burner with this franchise tag all offseason, really even through the playoffs when, when we realized that he's not a fluke, right? I mean, yeah. at, at least in terms of this team that last year, right? I, I mean, he's done little to promote any sort of long-term deal, you know, prior to the guy, the guy's made $7 million in six seasons. You know what I mean? So, so for him to be in the conversation of a $23 million franchise tag is ridiculous, right? I mean, this is a, this is an undrafted player back in 2012. This is a guy who just bounced around as a backup. He's gotten limited opportunities. He made the most of a really good situation in Minnesota, which leads me to, to believe a better quarterback could be, could even be better in that system in Minnesota, but that's for a different conversation, I think. Um, look, at this is going to be a situation where I think Keenum gets offered a, a tag later in, in this period, right? This period runs till March 6th. That's the last date for, for teams to offer these tags out. Um, I, I have to think they're going to wait this out because I, I, I don't think $23 million for Case Keenum makes a ton of sense in terms of a team-building situation. Um, obviously, that's going to limit their ability to build around him. Um, but to me, it's going to be, we've got other guys in mind, we've got prices in mind, and they're going to do their due diligence over the next two weeks to figure out if that's going to be a possibility. And if it's not, this is probably a pretty okay backup plan. Obviously it's not the best financial plan for them, but clearly he does well in the system. Uh, the guys know him. He's, he's a part of this core now going forward for at least one more year, if that's the case. And, uh, I don't think it's that crazy. There are a couple of interesting – well, there's three wide receivers yeah. uh, with that possibility. They're talking about the wide receivers and, you know, the, the class that's out there because it, the teams – you're talking about Landry with the Dolphins, yeah. uh, Robinson with the Jags, and Watkins with the Rams. If they don't franchise, there, there are players available yeah. in the position. They're all really interesting because it doesn't really seem like – any of them should still be on their teams, right? Isn't that interesting, right? Yeah. So Jarvis Landry, they, they, they had, they've had tons of time for the Dolphins to lock him up, and they've tried to trade him two years in a row. They're still trying to trade him, in my opinion, right now. I think they actually do trade him. I think they trade him. I, I think this is going to be a, a two-year back and forth of, of rumors with him, and I think he does walk because, yeah, he, he's, in a, he's in a situation where he's arguably going to be the top free agent on the market outside of Kirk Cousins if he walks. I mean, that's a, this is a guy that catches 100 balls and 1,000 yards every year, right? Maybe he's a little bit of a problem in the locker room, but this is a, this is a huge, huge asset for a team who needs a wide receiver. Um, I still think he gets traded. So it's, to me, that's one to watch over the next two weeks. Sammy Watkins is just a ball of fun in terms of how this is all laying out because he was a, <laughs> the Bills gave up a, you know, a boatload to get him in the draft. 
he, he was injured. He didn't produce very well when he was healthy. And that's, that was the case in, in L.A. last year after the Bills traded him for a big haul. I mean, the Bills got back a starting cornerback and a second-round pick for, you know, a guy that really wasn't doing much for the roster Kind of their third was. wide receiver. Yeah. Yeah. And, he, and he became the fourth wide receiver in L.A., which is even more interesting. Well, that's what right I now. meant. So, I, I mean, yeah. I was, you know, I was almost <laughs> thinking as soon as I said it, he was their third wide receiver, but with their tight ends, he was almost their fourth target. Yeah, I mean, you had you had weapons all over that team, and he, his production was decent. He, was, he remained healthy because he, he wasn't asked to do too much, which seems to be something he needs. Um, but they gave up, like I said, a, a starting quarterback, cornerback, a second-round pick. There's no way he's there for for 16 weeks and he's walking out the door. To me, that he's going to get the franchise tag just because they need to keep him under the fold because it's part of their process. Um, but $16 million for a guy who might be their third receiver next year is silly. And same, well, but the cost of living out in L.A. is yeah, higher. Yeah, so. all that matters. <laughs> taxes, taxes are tough. He's going to, you know, he'll get by. Um, Allen Robinson is the last one. He's, he's really interesting because of who he was, right? Two years ago, this guy was a multi-year contract waiting to happen. He, he, he's, he's an excellent player out of Penn State. Um, but he, he stood on the, on the shelf in 2017 with an injury um, that he's still trying to recover from uh, in terms of that, uh, the process, the, the healing process. Here's the thing. Marquise Lee is going to walk. Allen Hearns is a cap casualty almost definitely on that team. So he, he's the, really the only bona fide wide receiver out, out of the gate projected for 2018 so when you're talking that you know uh, to me what happens is they tag them they, they they make sure they've got their ducks in a row they kind of figure out the free agent market and how they're going to address the wide receiver position there and uh, obviously with the draft as well but uh i i'm almost positive by july 15th the deadline uh, that a multi-year deal will be in place so that he's the guy going forward the interesting thing for me in your article is because you do projected values uh, did it, are any of the projected values much different than the caps which you know for the two reasons why a team would franchise a player is the reason we talked about before not being tied to him long term um the other one would be well i'm gonna if the market says i gotta pay him 14 and the cap is 16 is that worth me doing yeah generally this there is a big difference year by year when i've done this article generally there's been a guy who's you know, projected to nine million, and his tag is fourteen million, and you know, there's no way that the tag makes sense. But really, outside of Watkins, who's, I mean, his the production just hasn't been there. His market value is like five million dollars right now, believe, believe it or not, just in terms of his production. Um, everybody else is pretty close, but nobody's over, which is interesting to me. None of these players have a value over their projected tag, so the tag would be a better deal this year in terms of their salary, average salary for a. 2018. Uh, so I thought that was interesting that that our valuations always came in lower than the tag. It, it means none of these players over the past two seasons have been max, max elite at their position. Even Jarvis Landry, who's had great, great years, his numbers don't hold up to the Hopkins and, and the Antonio Browns, which is not saying too much. Um, Le'Veon Bell is obviously going to be the, the outlier here. He, his franchise tag is $14.5 million because he was franchise tag last year. So for those who don't know, the way that works is your second franchise tag is 120% of last year's tag. So you get a 20% raise. Yeah, you get a 20% raise, uh, no questions asked. It, it's, it certainly seems like Pittsburgh's going to do this outside of all of my complaints, <laughs> you know. Uh, it's also a position where longevity has been an issue, and Le'Veon yep. Le Bell is on the field for a lot of plays. He is. I mean, he's not just a running back. So when when And that's how he's thinking, obviously, and his agent. He's coming in at this thinking, I'm, I'm a wide receiver, who can run the ball as well. So when you're talking about that money, wide receivers are worth $17 million now. That's Antonio Brown's number. That's where things are going um, in terms of the class coming up this next year. Uh, so that's where he wants to be. He wants to be $15 million plus because he can catch the ball as well as anyone in the league. 
Um, here's the thing, and we, we spoke to it with Joe Corey last week, right? He, he's had a lot, of, a lot of damage on those legs, mm-hmm. right? He's done a lot because he's doing so much on the field, and, and he's been in the league now. Even though he came in young, he, he's been in the league now for four or five years, and uh, this is a situation where I, I think I, I agree with Joe Corey where if they're going to tag him, tag him. And, you know, hit, take that $14.5 million hit and, and ride him out as hard as you can for one more year. Probably the same with, with Roethlisberger at the quarterback position. Because you don't want to commit to him long term. Yeah. That's what he wants. Yeah. He wants a long term commitment. But as a team, you're saying for all those reasons and the nature of the position, we don't want to sign him to a five year deal because he may be done in two. Yeah, I think that's the way to go. They're going to have to get younger and fresher at that position eventually, and uh, this just might be the pinnacle of that. You know, we're going to pay him a ton of money. Hope it hope it works out for us in the long run, and then uh, go move on from there. All right. Speaking of a ton of money, we've got one more thing to get to. Mm-hmm. All right. In the cap fact, we're going to talk about the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, not this version of the Sixers, but next year's version of the Sixers. Seventy million. Just $70 million is locked up for next season uh, with about four to five everyday starters for at least two more years. But So, so what does this mean uh, going forward here as they head towards the uh, second half of the season and they've got a chance here? Yeah, so we, we've been talking about this team-building structure and the process and, and having a plan in place. And obviously, Philadelphia has had a process in place. So they've been tanking for a decade and you know, loading up on these number one picks and, and really hoping that, that things gel together here. Well, it appears that it has. It really does. I mean, they're five games over 500. They're playing really good ball. They're getting a lot of attention because of the kind of ball they're playing. Um, and yeah, like you said, they're, they're in a cap situation next year where they're sort of in that Astros area, right? They're, they're at 70 million. Four of those starters are, are on the roster for really for two years plus four of those start starters are on the roster in terms of their current contracts. So they, they've got, they've got a position where they can go out this free agent season and say, who, who wants to be the guy who wants to be the, the veteran guy, maybe two of them, maybe two veterans that come in and sort of stand on top of this team with experience, you know, with playoff experience and say, we're going to, we're going to be, be the glue that pushes this team to the next level. Because the, obviously we know that the East is a lot less difficult to, to push to the top than, than the West is. And that might even get more complicated this next season. So I think the, the 76ers are a team to look at, look at, there's names like LeBron and Durant, and, and those names will get thrown around. I don't know if that's realistic. Hey, uh, you know where Durant's from, don't I you? I do. I do. He's from Baltimore, which means there might be an inclination for him to want to come back to the East Coast. Yeah, but wait a second. He went to school at Texas. <laughs> well, you know, but, you know, driving. hey, you wouldn't be the first guy that wants to come play play close to home. He is, let me just, Durant, LeBron, geez, do you think it's any shock or any coincidence LeBron drafted Durant for his all-star team that recently there? Get used to playing with KD? Come on now. I think they had a conversation uh, at some point out out on a club at Sunset Strip somewhere this past weekend. I think there's a lot. Paul, come on. It was a business trip. (laughs) Oh, okay. I got you. Paid by the NBA. Yeah. No, the... Look at it's not imp- what I'm saying here is it's not impossible. The Philadelphia has set up their cap with a ton of rookie deals and, and really expiring free agents coming out after this season. They've sort of set them up to say, let's go and get somebody. Let's let's we've got the rookies. They're getting a lot of attention. They're getting they're building their brand, which is a big deal to these major players, these yeah. elite players. Right? Uh, they're in a big city. They're close proximity to a lot of these these player where these players want to be. It's not realistic for one of those players to want to come here, whether that's a Paul George, right? Whether that's even, look, Durant would be a phenomenal fit for this team. Phenomenal. Length, 
shooting defense that that's the guy that's the that's the the glue guy this team needs to go with you know Simmons and that's going forward but uh yeah the, the money's right the, the the process appears to be ready for some sort of free agent splash there's names on the market this year and next year in terms of the free agent season so this is a team to watch at least over the next uh, 18 months or so I grew up a Sixers fan it would be great to see them great again I think it's close um yeah but man, I just I, I think LeBron is going to L.A. One of the L.A. teams, whether it's the Lakers or Clippers, yep. and I think Durant's going with him. You think? Yes, I do. Boy, I don't I know. I think he's going with him. I uh, wonder if LeBron, if Durant wants to chart his own course again here or not. I, I don't. He know. had a chance to chart his own course. He 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 turned it down to go to the Warriors. Yeah, to go win to go win a championship. I, he got that. I guess my my thinking here is. I'm not going to disagree with you because obviously that's been the trend in the NBA is to kind of find a partner, find a buddy and go win, right? So, yeah. But why would they do it in the West? There's always talk about Houston and Dallas. Why? Why would you do that? Why wouldn't you go to a team in the East who's young and cheap and fun and gets a ton of well, publicity I think if you're, if they and they could just blow through the regular season? I think if you're going to do it, well, listen, I think if you're going to do it in the East, you you go do it in New York with the Knicks. Oof. Ugh. That's for another podcast. <laughs> you have to put on the has. You got to put on the hazmat suits first. Well, but but to your point though, the competition is not as stiff in the East. Yeah, and so I, you know, I I think you go do that. Not to mention. Well, and, by the way, don't discount someone saying I want to go play with Giannis. No, no, that's another team. They're, they're Milwaukee. They're, they're starting to formulate a team that's similar to this, right? I mean, obviously they've got their superstar. They don't need a LeBron because they've got this 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 freak, right? Yes, <laughs> literally. But here's the other thing. You've heard LeBron and these guys talk about the Ben Simmons and the Embiid's. LeBron is essentially mentoring Simmons on, on social media right now, essentially saying, you can be me if you do these things. I mean, who does that right. without some sort of interest in this team? There's interest. There's interest from these major players. And all I'm saying is if you get one or two of those guys in the next two seasons, this is a team to watch, and there's no question. All right. Great stuff. A lot of great stuff today with baseball, with tag season in the National Football League and now looking ahead uh, to next year in the NBA. You can get course get it all at SpotTrack.com all the information, every contract, every major sport right there. For Mike Gennetti, Paul Peck, I'm Kevin Sylvester. Thanks for listening to SpotTrack.com podcast. <laughs>